Hello, and thank you for joining us on our Fort Road Victory Church podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us or get connected, please head to our website at frvc.ca. Now on with the sermon. Morning. Nice. I like it. Interactive. It's the best way to do church. Let's pray real quick before I start. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk about influence in the world that you've placed us in. God, I thank you that you have given us a mandate to be in the world but not of it. God, you've given us the grace and the power to really stay true to who you've called us to be. Um, I just ask that this morning our minds would be open, our understanding would be expanded, and that you would have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the hardest things for me to do in, in my Christian life today is filter voices, discern voices. Which voice is which? Whose voice is that? Is this a good voice or a bad voice? And... You know, there seems to be no shortage of voices around me. Um, I mean, I think it would be easier if I just had maybe a few voices or even just like one voice. I could always just go to that one voice and listen to, but there's voices everywhere. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I want to buy a new pair of shoes. Well, I'll ask somebody and they'll be like, you know, maybe they're really into sneakers. And they'll say, yo, you got to go to Foot Locker. They just got a new shipment in. There's these brand new shoes, and they're like $400, but they're the best shoes you'll ever buy. And of course, if I ask them again, the next month, they'll say the same thing about a new pair of shoes. That's kind of how sneakerheads work. And, you know, so for me, I'll, I'll be like, well, I don't know about 400 bucks for a pair of shoes. That's kind of steep. So I'll ask somebody else, and I'll be like, yo, if you go to Call It Spring, they just had a great sale. It was like buy one pair of regular price shoes and get a clearance pair of price shoes for 25% off. And I'm like, oh, okay, well... It kind of seems like a good deal. Maybe I'll check it out. Or somebody might say, you know what? Go to Hugo Boss. They sell amazing shoes. I've had the same pair for like four years. They never wear out. They never break. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that sounds kind of cool. One, one and done, you know, and never have to replace them. Or somebody else will say, hey, go to Vans. You know, I love my Vans shoes. I put insoles in them for comfort. But, you know, it's a classic. You can't go wrong with that. And then I'll ask my mom. And my mom will be like, hey, go to the Bay they just had this sale on, you know, something like this. And I'm like, I wasn't even looking for that, but maybe I will check out the shoes. I don't know. And then, of course, there's all the online influences. I'll check my Instagram to see what kind of influential person is wearing. If there's, like, a drummer that I like, I'll be like, I wonder what, you know, shoes they're wearing or some kind of preacher that I follow. I'll be like, hey, what shoes is he wearing Sunday morning? And, you know, all of those voices are coming at me. And, you know, I'm talking about shoes. So maybe at the end of the day you're like, well, just wear flip-flops and call it a day. But it's Kind of like the problem is, if you're being honest, the voices don't just talk about shoes. The voices in our lives talk about more things than that. And obviously, it's a bigger problem than just trying to figure out what shoes to buy. Um, you know, I think uh, if we're all being honest, you know, this is a problem that we all kind of have, right? We have a lot of voices in our lives. We have a lot of voices that can, you know, prompt us or fight for our attention, and as if it wasn't bad enough for, you know, for real people, we have virtual voices now in our pocket, millions of them fighting for our attention. It's pretty serious. It's pretty crazy. Um, think about this. In, in the course of even a single day, think about how many different voices you can hear, right? You get up in the morning, maybe you're the kind of person who listens to the radio in the car. Well, you have that radio host, right? That's a voice in your life, whether you want to admit it or not. That radio host is, you know, given a certain amount of authority to speak. So that's a voice in your life. Then you, maybe you get to school. I don't know if you, you're in school, but you, know, you have that person in class who always talks and has the loudest opinion. 
You know, that's a voice in your life, right? I, I was one of those voices when I was in school. I was always trying to talk in class. Um, so I know what that's like. But the, the person, you know, what about the person at work? The person at work who's like a really high performer. And you're looking at that person and you're thinking, man, I wish I could perform like that person. That person, when they speak, you're going to listen to what they say. Just by virtue of the success that they have and that you want, you will look at that person and say, wow, I wonder what that person's voice is saying to me right now. Um, what about that, you know, that person on, like, let's say Instagram, you know, if, if you're on Instagram, you got that person who's, who's trending right now, uh, maybe they just, they keep, they keep getting reposted every day and all your friends are posting it, well, that becomes a voice in your life. Whether you want to admit it or not, it's speaking, uh, it's a voice that's speaking to you. What about, um, you know, that YouTube channel that's always getting, you know, all your friends are looking at it, they're all in a circle and you're like, oh, what are you looking at? And it's the same one as last week. It's like, hey, this YouTube channel just posted a new video. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. You know, that's another voice because some YouTube channels, yeah, they're, they're, you know, they're just making videos, but they have opinions and they share products. Now YouTubers, one of their biggest things is trying to get monetized. They want to make money off their videos. And to do that, what they need to do is they need to actually have a certain amount of promotion of corporate products. We have all these voices in our lives. And you know what ends up happening is those voices actually start to affect what we do, what we say, how we think, what we believe. And that's what you would call an influence. That's what you would call an influence. Dictionary.com says this about influence. It's the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behavior, opinions, etc. of others. That is influence. And if you think about it, Persons are things that affect what we do and how we think are everywhere. Really, they're everywhere. If the examples I mentioned weren't enough, let's hone in on this one area of technology just for a second here. I want you to think about how many influences we have access to just on this little device called your smartphone. There's an overabundance of them. Um, I, want you, I want you to understand something very important here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to operate on this premise for the next few minutes here. I'm going to talk about technology, and maybe you're thinking, okay, why, you know, why the focus on technology? Well, chances are, even if you don't engage online every day, there's probably someone influential in your life that does. So whether you or on Instagram or someone in your family or a friend or a coworker is, technology is still influencing you whether you want it to or not. So think about this. We have so much information that comes at us through technology. That information can influence us. Those people behind that information can influence us. And what ends up happening is we get overwhelmed because our brains were not designed to process that much information in a day. We weren't. So what ends up happening is we go into this information overload mode, and there's some pretty serious effects that can come with that. I want to just share a couple of them with you. Just a couple of things that happen as a result of this oversaturation of influence, specifically through technology. In his book, Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport points out that in 2011, there was an unprecedented increase in depression and anxiety among teens. The only other factor that increased significantly in that year for teens was their access to smartphones. Did you catch that? 
Now, if that wasn't serious enough, check this out. There's this guy, um, I've been researching him a little bit. His name is Tristan Harris, and he's the co-founder of a little company called the Center for Humane Technology. And I want you to hear what Tristan Harris has to say in one of his writings about tech companies and, and how it's affecting us. If at any moment reality gets dull or boring, our phone offers something more pleasurable, more productive, and even more educational than whatever reality gives us. And this new choice fits into any moment. Our phone offers a five-second choices, like checking email that feel better than waiting in line. And it offers 30-minute choices like a podcast that will teach you that thing you've been dying to learn, which feels better than a 30-minute walk in silence. In other words, we're actually training ourselves to react out of impatience and boredom. And 10 companies are onto this, and they are using this trend to get us to buy more of their products. Actually, in another one of his writings, uh, Tristan Harris actually explains that tech companies are purposely exploiting our weakness for things like outrage and desperation and confusion to keep us addicted to their technologies that they're selling. So if you don't think that technology is influencing you because you don't follow as many people on Instagram as your friend does, I think... I think you might need to do reality check here. Because influence and the overabundance of influence is so heavy that we as a society today don't even know the long-term effects yet. We, don't, we, we know the short-term, but we don't know what's going to happen as a result of this down the road. We have to take time to think about the influences in our lives. We have to take time and start to analyze how are the influences around us affecting us? Even, if you're, even if, if you're like vehemently opposed, you live in a shack somewhere out in the rural area, and you're like, no, I don't do any technology except running water. Well, again, there's still people around you that are probably influencing you that have technology in their lives. So what I want to talk about is... Does the Bible have any insight on like an overabundance of influence or even the idea of an influence that doesn't come from God? You know, I think we got to slow down and ask ourselves, what voices are behind the influences in our lives? And turn to the Bible for some insight to the seriousness of, of, of the, or the urgency of why we need to do this. Um, if you got your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2 verse 14. Before I read this, I just want to let you know a little bit of background on Revelation. Revelation was a series of visions given to um, the Apostle John. John was stranded on this island, or I don't know, stranded. He was hanging out on this island of Patmos. I don't know the full story exactly, but um, this is where the book was written. God was showing him a bunch of stuff about the future. And the first thing he does is he inspires John to write these letters to the church. So these are a series of letters against uh, two different churches that God is writing to. And basically, a lot of the letters say, you know, something that God recognizes, you're doing this well, but I have this against you, and this is how you can fix it. So this is one of those letters. So in the context of this letter, God gives John this, like, insight into actually an old story. So let's just quickly read the verse. Um, Revelation 2.14, But I have a few complaints against you, 
you tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam, who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. So, this is actually a key detail in a story that is found in the book of Numbers in the Old Testament. So, I'm going to take you to that story and just show you, kind of tell you a little bit about that story, what was happening. Um, At this time, Israel had just come off like a serious victory, okay? They had defeated this people called the Amalekites. And they were actually very, very numerous. Like, we're talking, you know, um, millions of people. And what ended up happening was they they were walking, they were making their way through the desert, and this king, Balak, sees them coming, and he gets really, really intimidated. And he gets kind of freaked out. Now, there was this prophet for hire, and his name was Balaam. And he was a prophet, but he wasn't very well regarded in the Old Testament because he basically was seeking out rewards in order to be able to deliver God's message. So he wasn't exactly like a reliable prophet or someone who had great motives. So Balaam um, gets summoned by Balak to come and, and try and curse the people of Israel because, you know, Balak is really, really freaked out about how, you know, how many people are in Israel and also the, the things that they've been doing to their enemies. So what happens is Balaam gets to where Balak is at. And he's sitting there and, you know, Balaam says, okay, well, I, I got to say, um, I'm, not, I'm only going to tell you what God tells me. I'm not, I, I can't curse what God doesn't curse. So he goes up on the mountain. He makes this sacrifice ritual thing. He comes back down. And then, you know, he essentially blesses Israel. And Balak gets really mad, and he says, what are you doing? I brought you here to curse Israel, and here you are blessing them. So this kind of happens two more times. And then at the end, Balak says, okay, this is pretty bad. Like, I brought you here to try and curse Israel, and instead you're blessing them. At the very least, you could not bless them more. And so Balak is getting pretty frustrated. And at this point, Balaam is starting to fear that he's not going to get his money, his reward. So he says, well, I can't curse them because God's not going to curse them. But what I can tell you is that if you send in your young ladies from the back and you get them to seduce the young man, you can get them to commit sexual sin and therefore forfeit the favor of their God. So the question is, how do you know that? And what was the outcome? Now, of course, Balak follows through. Some of the Midianites go in. And they end up getting the young Israelite men to commit sexual sin. And now, when we're talking about this, this is not just like, oh, she was living with his boyfriend. This is like wild, drunken orgies. This is baby sacrifice. This is like serious stuff. So when you read over this, it's important to understand the context because sometimes we can miss the severity of what actually happened. This isn't like, well, you know, they made out for a little bit too long and it got kind of awkward. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about full-blown loss of moral restraint, okay? So this is what ends up happening with the Israelites, is that they lose moral strength with some of these women, and as a result, um, there's a plague that comes upon them and kills 24,000 of the Israelites. Okay? Very dangerous result of influence in the situation. But again, the question, how did Balaam know to make this recommendation? How did he know to say, oh yeah, just, you know, get some girls to go and seduce the guys and you'll be good? How did he know that? Well, you have to go back a little bit earlier. Um, when the Israelites got delivered out of Egypt, it was a bit chaotic. 
Because A, they didn't know where to go, they didn't really have any food, and they didn't really know what it was like to live free. They had been in captivity for 400 years. So there's this one peculiar story, you might know the story, and it's the worship of the golden calf. So let's look at this story real quick, okay? Because I, I, I don't want to miss, I don't want us to miss the fact that this kind of developed a reputation for the Israelites. Word about them kind of went ahead of them as to what they did to their enemies, what their God did for them, but also what some of their weaknesses were. So let's turn to Exodus 32, verses 1 to 6. Okay, so here we're going to find the, the, the account of this story. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said. Make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, O Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he announced, tomorrow will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Now again, don't miss the weight of this word, pagan revelry. This is marked by complete loss of moral restraint. We're talking about drunken orgies. We're talking about people losing control of their ability to make decisions for themselves and getting caught up in something that is a whole lot bigger than them. So, again, word of mouth of this event probably spread to Balaam, and that's why he was able to, you know, get Balak to use his influence on the Israelites in that way. Now, the question is, what? Why, why would Israel do this? They had just gotten delivered from Egypt, and God had told them, don't have any other gods before me. He had spoken to them. Moses was about to come down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And the thing is, they can see what's happening on the mountain. Because Moses is up there, and the Bible re records that there was like thunder and lightning, and there's some crazy stuff happening on that mountain. So it's not like Israel was sitting there unaware that Moses was having a supernatural experience with God on the mountain. So... You have to understand, Israel was in captivity for 400 years, 400 years, and they were, you know, they were slaves. So the only free people that they probably encountered or saw, or the ones that they saw the most that had the heaviest influence on them, were the Egyptians. And this kind of idol worship and this kind of pagan revelry was what the Egyptians would do throughout their time. So the Israelites would have witnessed this in the 400 years that they spent in Egypt as slaves. They would have seen this. And even though they would have liked to have think that, no, we're the chosen people of God, we're waiting on his promise, they were influenced by the Egyptians more than they would care to admit. This story kind of proves that point, right? So here they are. They're in this moment of impatience or boredom, right? And they're like, man, what is taking Moses so long? Can you come back down here already? I'm hungry. We need some more manna. Or I want to know where we're going next. 
and they're growing impatient, and they're getting bored, right? This is the, if you go back to, to the verse up here, this is what it says. It says, um, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. And, you know, so they're saying, come on, make us some gods. Like, make something happen already. You know, we're bored. We've been here too long. So don't, don't miss the link here. This is really important. In a moment of impatience and boredom, they give in to an influence that leads them to idolatry. Isn't that very familiar to what Tristan Harris was saying about technology in today? That we react out of like boredom and impatience and go to our phones and get the first influence that will come to us? Doesn't that sound like more of a dangerous thing now that we see the weight of what can happen down the road? See, I think this story is very, very, it's, a, it's like a cautionary tale. The Israelites were incredible in, in serving as examples to us of, a lot of times, what not to do. And in this case, I think we can't miss the weight of this. We can't miss the weight that if we don't pay attention to the influences in our lives, bad things are going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. You know, the result of, of that act of worshiping the golden calf and indulging in pagan revelry was that 3,000 people died. So you see this pattern emerging. It's kind of like influence, idol, death. It's a scary thing. And it brings me to this one point that I want to make because I think it's really important that we have an awareness about this. It's that any influence that becomes bigger than Jesus is actually an idol. Any influence that becomes bigger than Jesus is actually an idol. Don't miss this, because sometimes we think, no, I just really love this one show, or I just really love this one artist, or this one person just brings me to this thing, and we, we play cards, and it's just awesome. But we have to be careful, so, so careful, that those influences don't become bigger than Jesus in our lives. Because sometimes, all of a sudden, we'll start to filter, we'll look at those things, and we'll say, hmm, you know, here... Aaron said, we're going to make a festival to the Lord. And that word that he used for Lord was Yahweh, which was actually the name of God. He was deceived enough into thinking that they could worship of God through a worldly influence. There's people that do that today. There's people today that think, you know what? I'm just going to filter my worship of God through, you know, a worldly influence. It's all good. It's not a big deal. I'm still worshiping God. I'm still saying his name. But here we learn, no, it doesn't work that way. God has to be first. He wants to be worshipped in a certain way. He wants all of your heart. We don't serve like some God who makes compromise. Our God is sovereign. Our God is supreme. He says, look, it's this way because I created you and I created the world and the plan that I have is the best plan for your life. So when we look at this, we have to understand Idolatry doesn't start out as full-blown idolatry. It doesn't start out as full-blown idol worship. It starts out as a quiet influence. You know, I'm going to give you an example of a young woman who, maybe she's like 18, maybe she's 20 or 25, but she, you know, she really spends a lot of time in her body, and she really presents herself in a certain way to attract, you know, visual attention from people around her. That woman didn't wake up one day and think, you know what, I'm going to make an idol out of my body. That's probably not how it happened. You know how it started? 
with a quiet influence in her junior high. When the girl at the locker next to her started developing a little bit faster than she did. And all of a sudden, she noticed that that girl started to get more looks. Started to get more popularity. Started to get more of the attention that she was craving. And that influence, left unchecked, left unfiltered, began to, you know, affect her. Began to change the way that she thought. Began to change the way that she would act and behave. And then eventually one day... You know, she's, she's here and she's making this idol out of, out of her body because she's prioritizing that attention from guys or that popularity with girls more than she's prioritizing intimacy with her Heavenly Father. It didn't start out full-blown that way. It started out as a quiet influence. And now, you don't even have to be in a hallway filled with people. You can simply see that someone on your screen is getting more likes than you because of the way they're presenting themselves, because of what they're doing, because of what they're saying. And now all of a sudden, this is becoming the thing that you want, and it's stealing your heart away. That's what idolatry is. It's something that steals your heart, that has it more than Jesus does. You know, when you lift something higher than Jesus, it actually minimizes and even eliminates his influence in your life. It puts up a wall between you and him. This is why you might be sitting here this morning and you, you feel like you're doing the right things, but you just you kind of feel dry in your relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're sitting here and you kind of feel like even dead, like you're at a standstill. Like for some reason you can't do, you can't go any further. There's, like you've, you've reached a barrier of intimacy between you and him. This is the thing is that influences can become that thing that drives you right out in your relationship with Jesus. And I don't think the problem of influence or the overabundance of influence is going anywhere. So now the question is, what can you do about it? What can you do about this? I want to challenge you with this one thing. It's very simple. Filter every influence through God's word. Filter every influence through God's word. Um, How do you do that? You're like, God's word is long. Am I just supposed to, like, every time there's an influence in my life, start reading the entire Bible? Well, if you could, that'd be very impressive. Let me know how that goes. But I'm going to suggest just one example. Just one example. Um, turn to Galatians 5, 19 to 23. I chose this version <laughs> because I wanted it to be so crystal clear and simple. It's the International Children's Bible. Yeah. And the reason why I chose this one is because I have a good friend, his name's Quinn, and he tells me that when you give somebody instructions, make sure it's simple enough that a child can understand it. So this is simple enough in this verse that you can understand this, okay? Let's read this together. This is like, I call this the debauchery list, the list of things that eventually cause you to lose control or lack of moral restraint. The result of sin's control, or you could replace that with sin's influence in our lives, is clear. It includes sexual immorality, impurity, wild living, worshiping false gods, doing witchcraft, hating, making trouble, being jealous, being angry, making people angry with each other, having envy, being drunk, 
causing divisions among people, having wild and wasteful parties, and doing other things like these. I warn you now, as I warned you before, those who do these things will not be in God's kingdom. Look at this list. If any influence in your life is leading you towards anything on this list, cut it out. It's not worth it. It's not worth sacrificing your relationship with Jesus. It's very simple. Anything in your life, it doesn't matter what it is. If it's a person, if it's a TV show, if it's an account online, if it's an activity, if it's leading you to any of these things, cut it out. Cut it out because God wants to be your one and only. He wants to be first. He doesn't want competition. He doesn't want to have to compete for your heart. He wants to have your whole heart. Now look at this other list. Oh, before we do, sorry, before we do. It also gives a little caveat. This list is not exhaustive. It's not like this is all the bad things. It says other things like these, right? So if you're in doubt, cut it out. Right? If you're in doubt, cut it out. Why take the risk of dampening or killing your relationship with Jesus? Why would you take that risk? Um, Okay, so look at this other list. Verse 22. But the Spirit gives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law that says that these things are wrong. So look at this list by comparison. If you have something that is leading you towards these things, then lean into that influence. Get more of that influence in your life. You know what? There's lots of practices actually in the Word that will lead us towards more of these things. We could talk about those practices. See, this is the thing. You need to know about these practices and have influence of other people doing these practices to actually get to these things, to actually get to the fruit of what the Spirit wants to do in your life. That's why we plug being involved at church. That's why we plug being involved in community. Because if we try and do this Christian Jesus relationship thing on our own, we're vulnerable to influences a lot more than if we do life in community. So that's why we get up here every Sunday and we're like, yes, join a connect group. Yes, serve on a team. Because if you'll do that, man, it's so much easier to begin to recognize the things that are pushing you towards the fruit of the Spirit, and the things that are pushing you towards the control of an evil or a sinful influence in your life. I want to I leave you with a few thoughts. The good news is that Israel lived in the promise of Jesus. They were waiting for him to come. We live in the reality of Jesus. We don't have to run around and make sacrifices and perform for God anymore. Because of what Jesus did, we were made right before him, and we have his grace. And grace is an empowerment to do what's right. Grace is an empowerment to choose. You know what? That influence is not good for me. And even though it's hard because it's kind of already started winning my affection a little bit, I'm not going to allow that influence to take hold of my life anymore. If you're here and you, you don't know God, you don't know Jesus, I want you to I want you to have hope today because the hope is that as long as Israel put God first, as long as they respected what he wanted them to do and they put him in his rightful place, their enemies could not do anything to them. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're like, man, God seems kind of controlling. It's actually 
putting Him first is the most freeing thing. It's the most freeing thing because you stop worrying about all the things of the world and you start realizing, man, the things of eternity are taken care of. The things of the world are kind of small in comparison. The good news for you is that for every time that you gave in to an evil influence, Jesus paid the price for that. Jesus paid the price for that on the cross. And he is saying to you today, I paid the price so that you could have a relationship with me and I could be your one and only. I could be the person that has your deepest affections, your deepest desires, and I want to be that person for you. I want to be your God. He's inviting you. So if you're here and you've never made a decision to commit to following Jesus, you've never made a decision to commit to saying yes to him fully with your whole self and saying my life now belongs to Jesus, I want to invite you to do that this morning. It's very simple. All you have to do is acknowledge that you need him, that you can never do enough to earn the right to a relationship with him. Second thing is believe. Believe he died and he rose again. He's alive today. He's in this room right now with us, the same God. The same God who's with Israel, who's with Moses on the mountain, who would not let Israel be cursed even when a king was calling for it. He's here in this room and he's calling your name. And he's saying, come. Come into this relationship with me. It's the best thing you could ever do. The last thing is confess. Confess that he is now the Lord of your life. He is now the one who owns your life, who's going to run it. Things are going to go a lot better with God in the first seat of your life. Church, can you just picture with me for a second what it would look like if we were a church that was so unified, that was so guarded against influence that we couldn't be cursed, that we couldn't be affected by the things that try and come against the church. Jesus said he was going to build this church. So if he's first in our lives, if he's first in our in, in here, in, in our church family, if, he's, if he really has the highest place, there's nothing anybody can do to stop this church from growing and reaching our city. But we have to get serious about the influences in our lives, church. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If we do this, man, there is nothing anybody can do to us. Stand with me this morning. I'm going to pray real quick. And on the worship team, if you're new, this is the time where we just kind of get a chance to sing and engage with God and listen for His voice and respond to what we've heard. Feel free to lift your hands to sing, to jump. This is important. Let's pray. Let's ask God. God, show us those influences in our lives. Give us that discernment. Give us that wisdom to know when to say no more to an influence. When to recognize that something is leading us to idolatry. God, I ask that you would give us eyes to see wide open those things in our lives that are not supposed to be there anymore. Those things in our lives we've been hanging on to for way too long. Wherever they come from, whosoever voice it is, no matter what the reason was why it came in in the first place, God, we 
ask that you would show us what those things are, partner with us in cutting them out. In Jesus' name. If you're here and, and you prayed and you asked God to come and be your Savior and be your Lord for the first time, I'm sitting up here at the front. Just come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to get you connected with some resources to help you along the first steps of this faith journey. Let's worship together, church. Well, we hope you got a lot out of today's sermon. If you'd like to connect with us, please feel free to check out our website at frvc.ca. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a great day, everyone.